Hello, friends, and thanks for joining us today for the Hillcrest Covenant Church podcast. This week, we had the privilege of welcoming Reverend Megan Gillen. Megan walked us through a beautiful passage in Acts 16, where the Apostle Paul and other disciples begin to establish the Christian church in Philippi. In this passage, we also learn about Lydia, a wealthy woman in this area who has a newfound faith in Jesus and passion for more of God in her own life. Paul and Lydia are two people that couldn't be more different. They're separated by cultural, religious, and socioeconomic differences. And yet they both have their own moments with the Holy Spirit. They are known by God and are used to establish this beautiful beginning of the Church of Philippi. Remember, you can watch our live stream that happens Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., or you can always find us at hillcrestdecalb.com. Grace and peace, friends. Well, thank you, Bill. <laughs> yeah, Taz is not with us this morning. He, uh, as our kids used to say, he got tutored on Friday. <laughs> and so he is at home laying low, but this is a very high-energy dog, and it's going to be a challenge to keep him down. I can say that much. All right, I can see the clock back there, so I don't need to set my phone. I do want to say thank you so much to Hillcrest Covenant, to Pastor Jen, to Pastor Bill, for the privilege of being here with you today. It's absolutely delightful to join you in worship. Thank you so much, Joel and Kara, for, and the rest of the band for your leading us into worship. What a privilege it is to be in a place where we can freely worship God. And, uh, you know, I wanna also want to say thank you to Hillcrest Covenant because I don't know if there's anybody here who was around in the, what was it, mid to late 2000s. Our son, Lucas Gillen, and his now wife, then fiance, Anna Schweitz, worshipped here for a couple of years when they were students at Northern. And uh, they kind of helped sort of usher in instruments, you know, remember back in the day when we still didn't have instruments in, the, in worship? And uh, I'm thankful for your kindness to Lucas and Anna. I think some of the folks from this church attended both Lucas's recital as well as Anna's. They both make their living as musicians today. So NIU did a great job. So you're going to hear from me today, Scott next week, and uh, then I'll be back on the 26th. And it's our privilege to look uh, at an interesting couple of characters in the book of Acts. But first I want to ask you a question. Have you ever made a plan? Made a plan and worked on it and thought about all the details and plotted it out? Maybe if you're one of those spreadsheet nerds, you know, you kind of made a spreadsheet about what was going to happen for your plan. You were anticipating what it was you were going to do and then it just really didn't work out. Has anybody ever had that happen to them? That's pretty frustrating, isn't it? It's like when you miss that turn on your GPS and the little thing on the screen says, recalibrating. <laughs> or have you ever had that where you're sitting in a parking lot and it says, proceed east on Main Street, and you can't tell from the dot on the screen which way is east and which way is west, so you head out, and then it says, recalibrating. Well, Scott and I made a plan to go to France to celebrate our retirement three years ago in 2019. He retired from pastoral ministry. I retired from covenant offices. We'd been savoring this idea for quite some time. 
Our church even gave him a cash gift for uh, toward the trip when he retired. We were working on contacts and plans and ideas. No spreadsheet yet, but it was all coming together. And I would even had some great practice uh, brushing up my French. I've been a French speaker since high school, but I've never been to France. But God brought Congolese friends from our covenant work in Congo. So I got to practice and brush up, hosting them in our home, even going to Congo uh, to meet them, encourage them, as well as to meet our sponsored child through Covenant Kids Congo. Boy, we were getting ready. Well, we were working on all these plans when Scott was asked to take an interim position at Covenant offices as the director of Covenant Kids Congo. And so we thought, oh, that's a great opportunity. We believe so strongly in that ministry. We can go to France next year. What a wonderful thing to be able to do. Well, Scott got about six months into that uh, appointment, and then, as it did for all of you, COVID hit, right? He was asked to extend his time a little bit, so we didn't go that fall either. And then COVID stayed, I think, about forever. We're still emerging, right? And we still haven't gone to France. (laughs) Recalibrating. (laughs) I will say this, though. God has given us plenty of other wonderful and delightful things to do and has directed us in a path that has been very meaningful and very helpful. Those plans were thwarted, though, and uh, we had to listen. We had to listen to God and see why was this changing and what were we to do. Well, friends, this happened to the Apostle Paul in the passage we're going to look at today. So I want us to check it out in Acts 16. Paul is making some very big plans. I mean, he's been planning churches all over the place, and he is trying to get some more churches planned. But as we will see, he has to recalibrate. So let's notice how Paul's plans were thwarted and how he and his team recalibrate. So we're going to read from Acts 16, but first we will get kind of the backstory on Timothy, who's an important part of this story. And it's good to learn about Timothy's origins as a leader in the early church and how he joined up with Paul. So reading from Acts 16, verses 1 to 8. And I guess it's going to be there on the screen so you can follow. And I apologize, this is the New Living, not the NIV Uh, It's just, that's how I read the Bible. So Paul went first to Derbe and then to Lystra where there was a young disciple named Timothy. His mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was a Greek. Now Timothy was well thought of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium, so Paul wanted him to join them on their journey. And this is funny and we just don't have time to go into it, but in deference to the Jews of the area, he arranged for Timothy to be circumcised before they left. This is Paul who just, they had just decided at the council that nobody needed to be circumcised, but they circumcised Timothy. And our sympathy goes to him. (laughs) Taz especially has sympathy for him. Then they went from town to town instructing the believers to follow the decisions made by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem And this, let us not lose sight of, the churches were strengthened in their faith and they grew larger every day, every day. Next, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had actually prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia Asia at that time. Recalibrating. Then coming to the borders of Mysia, they headed north for the province of Bithynia. But again, the Spirit 
of Jesus did not allow them to go there. Recalibrating. So instead, they went through Mysia to the seaport of Troas. Now, don't you think it's interesting, friends, that this happened to Paul at this point in time? The Spirit is blocking Paul from, Paul the great apostle, from these things that he thinks he should be doing, stopping them from heading in specific directions, but so far, really not telling them what to do next. Do you ever feel that way? I know I do when God prevents or blocks my plans. Okay, God, I know I'm not supposed to do this, but what am I supposed to do? But then, in the case of Paul and Silas and Timothy and eventually Luke, when they needed direction, God made it so very clear. And I'm reminded of uh, Pastor Bill's message last week, if you were here and heard him preach about the wonder of Pentecost in that delightful message. Remember how he told us last week, sometimes we just have to wait. Sometimes we just have to listen. Sometimes we just have to be present to the Holy Spirit. Now, obviously, Paul and Timothy had to wait. We don't know whether they waited five minutes or five days, or five weeks, could even be five months. The scripture doesn't really specify, but they needed to know what God wanted them to do. And pretty quickly, God made the steps very clear. So let's read on. That night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So now, changes to first person here, and this is when we know that Luke, who is the author of Acts, has joined the party. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. And to that I kind of say, good job, guys. <laughs> Recalibrating. Let's appreciate the obvious here, that when God prevents us from doing one thing, if we are careful to listen, he also helps us recalibrate. And through the Holy Spirit, he shows us what it is we should do instead. Now, this may not be as simple as I'm going to the grocery store at two or at five or today or tomorrow, but it is true for the events of our lives. Sometimes we may not see it, but when we live a life in the Holy Spirit, listening for the Holy Spirit, Trusting God, pursuing God's plans for us. This is what we do. We look for the next thing. We listen. We watch for the Spirit. We pursue God's direction for our life and we willingly recalibrate knowing that what God has for us is going to be good. In fact, we invite the Spirit. One thing I know, friends, I know that the Holy Spirit goes where the Holy Spirit is welcome. And so I say this morning, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. You are welcome in this place. Please come, Spirit, and speak to us and enliven this message. So sometimes our recalibration includes incredible disappointment and sadness, doesn't it? I don't know if you've had one of those recalibrations recently. Sometimes, rather than recalibrating quickly, we may need a season to grieve or to mourn or to lament or to adjust. 
It may be painful or even traumatic. And once we recover from and adjust to that loss, we are ready to receive our recalibrated directions from God. Uh, Four and a half years ago, our daughter Kelly, at age 34, was diagnosed with stage four metastatic breast cancer, out of the blue. It took some recalibrating, it took some adjustment, it took some real lamenting and grieving and tears and loss. But you know, Kelly did that, and with her husband Greg, she did that well. She learned everything she could about how food is medicine, adjusted her diet to be an anti-cancer, anti-inflammatory diet. She breezed through chemo. She is now very healthy, I'm happy to say. Oh yeah, she gets infused every month. She gets a scan where we all hold our breath every three months. She takes tamoxifen every day like most breast cancer patients. She is healthy. But it wouldn't be truthful for me to say that we did not have to recalibrate on that one. And around that same time, our oldest son, Grady, was about three weeks out from his wedding uh, that we had all been anticipating for quite some time when his fiancée broke it off. That took some recalibrating. And I will say, Scott and I still haven't been to France. (laughs) And that's not so heartbreaking. But instead, God has given us this lovely, vital season of ministry where we are each in these lanes that we are so grateful for. So that wasn't so hard to accept. I do still want to go to France. Paul received his recalibration by way of a powerful vision from God. And you know, friends, I think this is more common than you might believe. How often does God give you a dream or a vision or something that you can kind of see? It might be small, it might be huge. But in faithfulness to God and in faithfulness to the Holy Spirit, I want to say, we got to listen to those visions and dreams and those moments. If Paul, imagine if Paul had ignored this plea in a vision. Here was this guy calling for help. Come over here and help us. It could not be any more direct. He pleads, he begs, and there is enough emotion and urgency in this man's plea that Paul gets it. And he gets on a boat with his teammates. So let's read what happens next, starting in verse 11. So we boarded a boat at Troas and sailed across to the island of Samothrace, and the next day we landed at Neapolis. From there we reached Philippi, a major city of that district of Macedonia, and a Roman colony. And we stayed there several days. I just love that, several days, because in these next few weeks we're going to learn what happened during those several days. Well, finally, they come to Philippi. Finally, they're there. This is very exciting. Their recalibration is now going to require the next thing. So Paul and his teammates are going to have to figure out what do we do now? What do we do next? Well, they're going to need to talk to some people because that's why they're there, right? And so I want to tell you a little bit about the people of Philippi that they will be speaking with. See, Philippi is a Roman colony. You know how Rome just kind of expanded and took over everything and everybody. But it's actually in Greece. So Romanized is this community that they don't speak Greek there. They speak Latin. 
Philippi is on this major roadway from Rome to all points going east. I'm sorry, I should reverse that for you guys. For all points going east. And it's a busy, busy place. That road is called the Ignatian Way. There's quite a mix of cultures there. In fact, it's likely full of all kinds of pagan worship and cultic activity. So isn't this a beautiful place for the gospel to take hold? So it's into this setting, this city of Philippi, where God sends Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke. I might call them the all-star team, Pastor Bill. So when Paul goes into a new community, what does he do, friends? He usually goes to the synagogue, the local house of worship, right? He goes to the synagogue because he's going to find at least God-fearing people there, right? That's, that's where he's going to go. That's where he's going to preach. Uh-oh, no synagogue in Philippi. You know, and the Roman law, excuse me, the Jewish law states that if there are just a quorum of 10 Jewish males You've got to build a synagogue or some kind of place of worship. So we know that there is almost no Jewish presence at all in Philippi. What is Paul going to do? Well, friends, the same Holy Spirit that called him to recalibrate and get on that boat in Troas now gave him a pretty clear vision. And he, we are going to find out why he actually is in Philippi and who are the people who really need his help. So now picking up in Acts 16 at verse 13. On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. And we sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshipped God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart And she accepted what Paul was saying. She and her household were baptized and she asked us to be her guests. If you agree that I am a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. And I love Lydia. She urged us until we agreed. This is a pretty beautiful moment, wouldn't you say? Paul has been directed to Philippi. He sought out the God-fearing people. Now he's gone to their place of prayer and exciting things are happening. So who are these God-fearing people after all? Well, I can tell you one thing very important about them. They are women. Only women. Just women. At this place of prayer. We know from the use of the Greek word that tells us these are only women. One of these women is singled out for special notice and her name, as we've seen, is Lydia. She comes from Thyatira, which is really quite a distance away in Turkey because that's where this expensive dye, the process of making of which is laborious and so costly. So like you make this dye out of the juice that you squeeze from a tiny little mollusk and it takes tens of thousands of them to just get like a an ounce or less so you can see why it's so expensive she's a seller of this expensive beautiful purple cloth this is the kind of thing that would maybe trim the robe of only the wealthiest only the noblest only the most important people 
Lydia is certainly a woman of influence and means. Her clientele would certainly include the strong, the accomplished, the achievers in the city, and she probably is counted among them. She's important. She's influential. She's successful. We might say she has it all, but she doesn't have Jesus. And she knows it. (laughs) She knows there is something missing in her life. See, friends, we see clearly from the scripture, Lydia is spiritually hungry. She is longing for more. She wants to know God, to experience God. She is at the gathering place. And could I remind us, it is outside the gates of the city. She is worshiping God, but she doesn't know enough. She's thirsting for God. She's hungry to understand. And it is to this very specific moment in time, this very specific moment in Lydia's life that God has brought the Apostle Paul and his team to sit down and have a chat. This is very powerful to me. God has brought them right to the place where Lydia has been praying and worshiping. God is leading. God leads. God has recalibrated these men and now he has led them to the place where they are needed. Now, not to the huge arena, which actually still stands in Philippi. I haven't been there. I'd love to go there. Maybe after France. I don't know. But I would love to see Philippi and that big, huge arena where the games and the other things and the debates and all the entertainment took place. It's still there. Or maybe they would have gone to the marketplace where they might encounter those important and influential men. But no, God has led Paul outside the city gates to a group of spiritually hungry, a random group of women. And I have to say, this does remind me of this little place in Hebrews chapter 13 where the writer says and reminds us that Jesus suffered outside the gates of Jerusalem. Jesus was an outsider too, much like Lydia experiencing humiliation of the worst kind, suffering on our behalf, friends. Jesus Jesus came in such great humility, serving those at the margins, suffering disrespect, suffering total humiliation as he hung on the cross for our sake. I think in some ways we see the same humility in Lydia, a hunger to worship God, to get her life oriented towards God. Maybe she's been on a quest for wealth and prominence, which she has likely achieved. And yet, we see that Lydia wants something more. Her financial success is not enough for this woman. And the beauty of this story, friends, is that God sees Lydia. God sees the longing of her heart and her desire to know him, her desire to worship, to have her life be about something more than selling her goods and making money. God values Lydia so much that he recalibrates Paul's plans hundreds of miles away, not once, but practically three different times. God hears Lydia's prayers recalibrates and directs Paul, we know that God 
sees Lydia. Do you know anybody like Lydia? I do. They have it all. They don't have Jesus. Maybe you're that person this morning, spiritually hungry, longing to know him more, to worship with deeper meaning, to have your life be about more than selling goods and making money as Lydia's was. God values Lydia so much that he has brought all these circumstances together. If you identify with Lydia, are you trying to understand how to go deeper in your relationship with God? I want you to know this morning, God sees you. He sees the deep places in your heart that don't show to me or to our friends here as we're sitting in these pews. God sees the hunger in your heart to know him and to experience him more. God sees you. Maybe this morning you've already been to the riverbank. Maybe you've met Jesus. You've begun new life in him, but you are still hungry for something more, something of the spirit, something like a deeper understanding of God and his love for you. Or maybe you're just longing for healing from the wounds that you have that perhaps you keep hidden from others. Your trauma, your broken places, the wounds that you have experienced, if that's the case, God sees you. God sees you. You know, last week, Pastor Bill, you shared that you are an ACOA, an adult child of an alcoholic, and I have the same unfortunate heritage. Although the the chaos and the alcohol in the environment of my family of origin also led me to experience many years of childhood sexual abuse from one of my brothers. So this experience of brokenness, of trauma for me, was certainly led to a place of great spiritual hunger for me. It's given me a lot of moments like Lydia's at the river bank, praying desperate prayers and asking God to see me to heal me, to touch me, to make me better. It has given me many moments of longing longing for a deeper and closer relationship with Jesus, to have him answer those prayers for healing and wholeness and renewed hope, to have this pain, this humility pain of knowing that I'm different, knowing that you are different, being outside the city gates, to have that healed and redeemed and to actually bring value to what for me has previously seemed like a big, deep black hole in my heart. Well, if you relate to my story or to Pastor Bill's story or if you have your own story of brokenness or pain or secrets or addiction or shame of any kind, I want you to know, as I've said many times already, God sees you and loves you fully. God is not put off by the brokenness you have experienced. God is not disgusted with whatever it is you have done. God sees you, loves you desperately, and longs for you to know him and draw near to him. God's eyes look on you with compassion and mercy and tenderness. God actually longs to touch you with his healing power the same way that Jesus did during his ministry here on earth. 
So here at the riverbank, Paul and Silas sit down to talk. The spirit is on the move. The God who sees Lydia has not only sent Paul and his teammates, God has sent the Holy Spirit. And in this beautiful Holy Spirit moment, Lydia not only hears the message, the scripture we read says she accepted what Paul was saying. The Lord opened her heart, made it possible somehow for her to take that step Paul worked, the spirit worked, Lydia opened her heart, and this is the moment when everything changes for Lydia. Well, she's baptized immediately, which I think is lovely, an important act for her that shows her desire to truly demonstrate publicly that she's all in for Jesus. But then as a responsible woman, a leader, her whole household is baptized, right? So that would be the servants, the children, maybe a husband, maybe parents, maybe aunts and uncles. We don't know. We know her home was spacious. We know that she was wealthy. She made sure everyone was baptized. And Lydia begins exercising at least one important spiritual gift immediately as well, demanding, asking, insisting that Paul and his team come and stay with her. And she wants this as an affirmation of her faith. She wants this as an opportunity, I think, to learn more. This hunger has been so satiated by this first little tease of knowing God and of having Paul preach to her. She wants more and more. So please, she says, come to my house and stay. And she knows they need somewhere to stay. She wants to share, I think, this wonderful experience with others too. This experience she has had with the God who has heard her prayers and who has answered by recalibrating the route of the great apostle Paul. And friends, this, me- this moment for Lydia is more meaningful than we might realize. Because you see, Philippi is in Macedonia, which is in Greece which is in Europe. And I want you to know that Lydia is the first Christian follower of Jesus in all of Europe. (laughs) And this church that develops in her home is the first Christian church in all of Europe. Isn't that amazing? I just think that's so awesome. And... When she insists, come to my house, she begins to, you know, the the church develops there and scholars think that actually the church may have met in that building. We don't know how long Lydia lived and it's interesting that she's not mentioned in the book of Philippians where other people in the church in Philippi are. So maybe she was quite elderly. Maybe she was crowned with glory like we are. I don't know. Uh, But her home was open and the church there was developed and planted and grew and grew and grew. In fact, it grew to points west, it grew to points north, and as we know, it eventually got up there, way up north to Scandinavia, came across the Atlantic Ocean where here we are as covenanters today, enjoying that heritage with Lydia as our foremother, our spiritual foremother. And then we think of Paul trying to head into Asia, trying to head north into Bithynia, having to recalibrate, wait on God for a clear vision and what was next. Paul obeying that vision and sitting down for a simple conversation with some women. So I invite you to reflect for a moment this morning. Who do you identify more with? Do you identify with Paul? needing to trust God for your recalibrated direction? 
if we were all able to listen and wait until our plans are changed, even after we're disappointed, maybe lamenting, grieving, feeling loss, what if God had something so much better after that recalibration, so much more meaningful? Do you identify with Paul this morning and his recalibration? Or do you identify more with Lydia today, hungry to know God, to experience God more richly, more fully, to be seen by God, to enter into a new relationship with God, whether you've known him for years or you are new to faith in Jesus. Friends, the book of Acts is all about this powerful moment of the Holy Spirit as the church of Jesus Christ grows and expands and multiplies with unstoppable force throughout the known world in the first century. This exciting moment in the life of the early church, think now with me, I hope you will, as you leave today, two people separated by hundreds of miles, great cultural differences, vast economic and religious differences, and separated by the way they even understand God. Each one, Paul and Lydia, have their moment of obedience to God, of coming to God, of listening, of being empowered by the Holy Spirit. And through this marvelous moment, a church is born in Philippi. And we are the grateful uh, people who take advantage of that. Let us bow in prayer. Lord God, we are so thankful for how your word opens our hearts and minds to see you at work. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for the mighty way you moved in these people. And Lydia and her women friends, in Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke as they sought your will following recalibration after recalibration. And Lord, I'm thankful for these people here today and for your Spirit's work among them and in them and through them. I pray, Lord, that those of us who are longing to be healed and touched and have you a deeper walk with you would find that in you, Jesus. I pray that those who just need to trust that your redirection is from, truly from you, that we would wait, sit, and listen for your voice, Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, for founding that church in Philippi and for the beautiful book of Philippians where we see how deeply endeared Paul is to these good people. In Jesus' name, amen.